We all have a creative part of our brain, whether we use it or not, for generating new ideas, problem solving, and just viewing ourselves in this world. I am Ricky McGeckron, an artist living in Chicago, and I am eager to know and share with you all how people of a creative leaning have brought this way of thinking to the forefront and how it has shifted outcomes. The Lucky Trikes is a Chicago-based chamber band that performs story times with live improvised and classical music and original songs for young children. The Lucky Bikes is a modern chamber ensemble featuring songs and compositions, dirty enough for the bars, yet classy enough for the concert halls. Today's guest is involved in both of these bands, as well as lots of other unique and interesting musical things. His name is Kyle Gregory Price, and I really enjoyed getting to know him, exploring his work, and his mind a bit. It sounds like you are involved in musically things that are not so traditional. Is, is that a valid statement? I do tend towards the more experimental and avant-garde. Even my songwriter stuff for both my kids' band and my solo work called The Lucky Bikes. There's The Lucky Trikes and The Lucky Bikes. Uh, even that stuff tends to be a little more out there. So let's go back because I okay. want to figure out how you got to this point where this is what you're doing. How did you get turned on, exposed to, active, your brain activated, excited about music? I've always been more sonically inclined. Uh, I do some visual work. I, I design jewelry and I've done some other like stop motion animation too. But I'm definitely more sonically based, and uh, and you've always been that way as a kid. Yeah, I, I when I was like four or five years old, I was listening to Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and Queen. I was, I, you know, I, I really dug some of the kids' music, but by and large, I was listening to more of my my parents' music. Okay, and now you're doing kids' music, and so, now so, I'm doing kids. So that is full interesting. Circle. <laughs> um, but you got exposed to that type of music from your parents. Yeah, yeah, a lot of classic rock. Okay. But I don't think that that's that uncommon. I mean, I feel like kids are usually listening to what's, even little kids are listening to what's on the radio. Mm -hmm. And at that time, that's probably, may, you know, what you were exposed to. Oh, so. the, the one record that really caught my attention in my mother's collection was Monty Python's Matching Tie and Handkerchief. And uh, our, I, don't, I don't know anything about that. What, what, what it, is it about it that was interesting? It's their storytelling and their ability to create imagery and pictures with just their words and the music and the sound effects. And I don't get me wrong. When I was five, I didn't understand all the jokes, you know, um, sit on my face just sounded painful. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> get it, but, uh, I get it now, obviously, <laughs> but their, their skits and their segues were really artful. And, you know, I didn't know that at the time, I didn't even know what a segue was, but uh, in retrospect, I realized how well-crafted the record is, and we're actually, I'm using it as a point of reference for our second kid's record. Clearly not the content of Monty Python, but yeah. their sort of approach to how they do things sonically. Does that make sense? It makes, it makes total sense. Cool. <laughs> Was it like a combination of sound and storytelling together? Yes, they're... they're I mean, they use sound effects in their songs that just work out. It's almost like they're, it's, it's a combination of, if I may be so nerdy, form and function. Um, 
and 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 obviously humor and comedy i like a lot of humor mm-hmm. and comedy and music and I, I have a sentimental side too about me but uh i like i like things that are jovial I, that's why i work well with children it's, yeah but we're, but at the same time with, with that said the lucky trikes aren't afraid to be sad mm-hmm. we're not afraid to be angry we're not afraid to be afraid and so it's not all you know cookies and ice cream all the time with our band we we but, we get emotional yeah i mean that makes sense to me i know um mr rogers mm. uh, i don't know if you saw the um the movie not the one with tom hanks but the one that was more of a documentary it's fantastic okay it was amazing like everyone in the movie theater was crying yep and that was one <laughs> of the things about mr rogers and I was a huge fan of his as a kid, but I didn't remember that. I just remembered that I liked him. And watching the documentary reminded me that his show was not all about happiness and happy. It, he talked a lot about sadness and loss and death and, um, you know, all the emotions that everyone feels, including children. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people forget that. They they tend to mask grief. Adults tend to mask grief around children. Um. We need to be a sense of a point of security for them, but we also can't be afraid to show them that we feel the same things that they do, and and it's and then it's okay. Like it's okay not to be okay sometimes. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I'm assuming I don't have kids, but I remember what it was like to be a kid, and I feel like your feelings are kind of just this. It's all the same. You just have more information now. We have more information. In it, in I mean, it. we have more information as adults because we've had more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're a kid, you just sort of have feelings and you have a limited set of experiences to, you know, to populate your mind and your thoughts. Whereas you're, you know, as you get older, it just, I feel like it gets broader and larger. But ultimately, I feel like the feelings are the same. I think that I, 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 I agree with that. Uh, I think the one thing that we try to do for children is give them a vocabulary to express themselves. Like, how do you feel? Here are some words that might work. So they can emote it. So they can, like, let it go. It's, you know, we, a sense of catharsis for them. Because, you know, as we get older, we're, we're kind of forced to hide a lot of things. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I don't. <laughs> I, I tend to wear my emotions on my sleeve. Uh, and that also makes it easier for me to work with children because I let them know how I'm feeling too at a given moment with yeah. with, with grace, of course. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a great tool, um, you know, performing for children in a way that allows them to express, you know, these things just that you said. That's great. I didn't realize that's what you, that was part of what you did. Yeah, and it's and, and admittedly the it, it's also lucrative um, if you play your cards right and are good at what you do, you can make a living off of it. Okay. And that's, you know, I mean, I, I clearly if that's all you're going into it for, then you're going to get weeded out really quick. Kids can see that. <laughs> they probably can see it more than, uh, quicker than adults. Yes, totally. Let's talk about when you, like music throughout your life. Was it always something that was a part of what you were, your passion, a part of your, um, dealing with your emotions and your thoughts was music always part of that as Absolutely. you grew up? Absolutely, um, yeah, and and you know, not necess- even though I'm classically trained now, I was very, I, you know, I I did the middle school percussion thing where I played bass drum and crash cymbal every okay. every eighteen measures. I'd get a chance to like hit one of them. <laughs> um, I wasn't so into it only because it just wasn't the teacher at the time, and I, you know, who shall remain nameless. Um, wasn't 
he he just didn't seem to like his job, to be quite frank. Okay. And he and he didn't make it emphatic for the rest of us. Okay. So I was discouraged from classical music and from band music, which I've since come full circle with. But uh, where where uh, are you from? Are you from Chicago? Upstate New York. Oh, you're from upstate New York. Yeah, the tiny little two traffic light town called Whitney Point. Whitney Point. Mm. Is it near like Lake Placid? No, no, several hours south of there. It's in between Binghamton and Ithaca. Okay. It's it's you know, a beautiful beautiful countryside. Um, not nearly as much culture as Chicago or sure. New York or yeah. But you so you had your musical experience in high school, and then you did you study more after high school? Yeah, it was kind of a you know in, in regards to a lot of my peers, I'm I'm a late bloomer. Uh, I didn't start playing drums until I was twenty. I didn't start studying actually studying music, music theory and composition and, and technique and all that until I was about 20 years old. Um, How is that a late bloomer? Like, where would you learn musical the- theory before 20? A lot of kids... In high school? Uh, a lot of my peers do the Suzuki from the time they're like three, four years old. And Suzuki is a, is a particular training method where the parents are like engaged in the lessons. Um, a lot of my peers were in middle school band, and they stuck with it. I didn't do anything musically other than listen when I was in high school. Okay. But then in, around 20, that's when you started to get more training, and um, it was more for- formal training. More formal training. It was. I was 18, and I started taking theory class, but then I had to move halfway through my senior year, which is probably a whole other podcast. <laughs> um <laughs> And I, I, and I, this one composition, Edgar Varese's poem Electronique, actually really caught my ear, and I, I just thought to myself, oh my God, I didn't know music could sound like this. It's an uber modern piece, even though it's about seventy years old. <laughs> it's very experimental. It's uh, all tape. It's all magnetic tape, and it's a really heady piece. I didn't fully understand it, but I knew that I liked it because even though it was considered, it's in the realm of classical music or new classical music, really taken aback and was I, I realized that music didn't have to sound like Mozart or the Beatles. Okay. Or if, you know, I'm going to out myself here or like Korn or Marilyn Manson or any of that really okay. angry stuff that I was listening to when I was in high school. Right. I'm hearing two instances where your brain got activated and excited over music where you didn't really understand what was going on. You mentioned that 70-year-old piece where you got really excited about it and there was more to it than you fully realized. And then there was another example of that when you were a kid where the Monty Python, was it? Mm -hmm. Where there was all this stuff that was going on that you weren't aware of, but you got like really turned on. Like I I find it interesting that those were the two specific examples that you gave. I'm being like the psychiatrist right now. Yeah, I dig and it. And that, you know, both of them, you just saw the tip of the iceberg that interests you, but there was like all this stuff behind it that you realize later. That's a really good observation. I have not made that one, and I do a lot of self-observing, <laughs> and that's really cool. I'm going to think about that. Um, I guess that applies to a lot of my aesthetic, one of my favorite poetry lines that I think about all the time is always the beautiful answer that asks a more beautiful question. And it's an E.E. Cummings line. I like things that I don't fully understand at first, uh, especially if they have some, like if I I can just sense some 
form in them, if I there's some um, cohesion within it, I don't have to understand all of it in order for me to. I, I guess in short, I want to explore. Yeah. When I hear something I, and I like it, I want to be like, what is? Why do I like this? Yeah. So much, and I like things that challenge me. Yeah. Uh, that's why I like a lot of avant-garde and contemporary music and experimental music because I don't get it at first. Um, I'll, I, and even if I don't completely understand something, I, I'll give it a second listen and I might upon second listening be like, you know what, just, this just isn't me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I give things the benefit of the doubt. I give artists the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I used to get, you know, I used to hear one piece by an artist and be like, Oh, I don't like this. So I don't like anything that they do or I don't like them as a person. I mean, it right. was down to the core. <laughs> Yeah. And I've I've since learned to not do that. Like I don't say anymore that I think a piece is bad. I just simply say I don't understand it. What do you think about the ability of creative people to be able to produce and distribute their music? You know, years ago it would be really difficult if you were curious about what was out there in the world of music to hear people because it was pretty restrictive. You would have to have like sophisticated recording equipment and there wasn't really ways to distribute music. Now anyone can record music on their computer and everyone can distribute it on all these different free platforms. What do you think about that? Um, you know, it's a plus and a minus. Uh, as a result, anybody can release. And even though I'm down for that kind of free will and that freedom, it just means there's more stuff to sift through for what it is you might be looking for, what catches your ear. Okay. Uh, and with that said, there's ultimately there's something out there for everyone. And even if you aren't going to be enjoyed by a lot of people, someone somewhere is going to love what you do. Okay. And it might take a little while to find that person or that audience, but you'll find them. Um, on the other hand, it's, it's out there. It's, it's all out there. Every genre is out there. And if you know how to essentially type in the proper keywords mm-hmm. <laughs> into Google or SoundCloud or YouTube or iTunes, uh, you can find something. And I, I, one thing I like about stations like Spotify, and I don't even know if Last.fm is still around. I, I enjoyed their algorithms, the way they set stuff up. I like putting in one artist's and then ex- and finding out what the stations sort of associate with other artists or yeah. how they associate other artists. Yep. Through Last FM, I'd put in like Captain Beefheart or uh, something a little more mainstream, <laughs> mainstream, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, like Frank Zappa per se. And then all these other artists would come up and I'd be like, I've never heard of these people before. Like who's Acid Mother's Temple? Who, who is, who's uh, Amon Duel? Like who are these people? And um, I, I know I'm throwing down some names now that you guys might not know, but they're like, I, I recommend them if you're into like drone rock and experimental rock and roll. But as a result of this accessibility, you'll find something that you're going to like. You just, you're just going to have to sift through a lot of stuff. So I, th- I think it's a plus and a minus. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is amazing that you can explore. I can explore music and basically what you just said, like I will have a starting point and I like that. And then I can find other stuff while I'm taking a five minute break while I'm painting. And I can uncover all of these new artists on like Apple music or Spotify. That would have been impossible to do like, you know, 20 years ago. I remember there was, I think it was tower records was at the end of, uh, was down the street from me in Boston. And they had a system where you could play CDs before you bought them. 
And that was like groundbreaking. Like <laughs> you could, you, you know, I would have to walk down to Tower Records and I could pre-test it out and see if I liked it. And we thought that was amazing. But now we have this. Um, but I wonder if it is uncovering more super talented people because who knows, there could have been super talented musicians years ago, but they just didn't have the ability. It was too cost prohibitive. Or they were living in the middle of Kansas and they didn't have the way to get their music out. And now it really doesn't matter where you are or probably your financial um, limitations. For the most part, you can get your artwork out there. So I feel like it potentially could get, you know, really talented people out there. Yeah. You just made a big grimace. So what was was that grimace for? (laughs) The, the financial element of things, um, whatever you feel about a lot of pop and mainstream music, one of the reasons why so many of the quote-unquote popular people are just that popular is because they have, either through family or maybe they did get picked up, um, either through their followers on Instagram. Or YouTube. Or YouTube. They're really good at marketing and with if you have capital, you can pay for marketing. Okay. So sometimes fi- the finances can get in the way, unfortunately. So, that, you know, not to say, not to say that someone who's doesn't have a lot of money, who's, you know, recording with their phone or even not their phone, some like, I mean, you can use headphones as a microphone if you, if you're crafty enough and they're doing their best to get it on SoundCloud, and they're super lo-fi recordings, and then they might get picked up. That's that one in a million chance, and I actually praise that sort of lottery that happens with artists. Okay. Um, I think I wasn't gauging success as being the next Taylor Swift, okay. Swift or Justin Bieber. I, I, think, I think the path that I had in my mind is that there was someone who had all of this innate musical talent. And I don't even know if that's a thing because it could just be hard work. But let's assume there is innate musical talent and someone has that. Well, I guess what I'm saying is that you, would ha- you wouldn't have to have a lot of resources to put together some really high quality music with free software that comes with your Mac. And you would essentially be able to get that out to the world and connect with people. So like you would have this highly talented musician able to connect with people around the world. So I guess that's what I'm saying about discovery. I wouldn't necessarily think that, you know, they're going to become the next Lizzo or whatever, you know, financially successful or a pop phenomenon. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, no, fair enough. Fair enough. And I'm I'm actually glad you bring that up. Um, It makes me think of some of the some of the, the younger kids who are getting access through school and some of the programs that are here in Chicago. There's just there's there are more resources opening up, particularly with youth, in regards to like media studios at school, and actually I I will say that I kind of agree with you on the innate musical ability thing. I'm I'm, you know, some people are born with it, some people find it, sometimes it finds people, <laughs> and it's also a combination of hard work. If you're willing to put a record together, and yeah, you don't need you don't need a ton of money to put a record together. Mm-hmm. And when I say a record, I don't necessarily mean an actual physical record, just a, comp- a collection of music. And you can put it out there. And for, I mean, for 20 bucks, not to sh- throw in some, you know, they're not paying me to say this, but like DistroKid for $20 for a whole year, you can get your stuff on iTunes and 
Spotify, and as a result, you put in a little extra legwork. Even if you have to do it at a computer at a library, you can get an audience. So it it is accessible. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about innate musical ability? Like, do you think that is a thing? Uh, or is it really just hard work? I've met a lot of people who do have innate musical ability who unfortunately aren't doing anything with it. And for whatever reason, they're not doing anything with it. They choose not to. Or they're just, I hate to say this, but lazy. Hard work is definitely, hard work is what's going to put the record together. I'm shaking my head because this topic keeps coming up. This idea of ability versus hard work and how they're kind of on two separate axes. And you can, you know, there's a plenty of people out there that have talent that just don't put in the work and things don't go anywhere for them. And I, and I, and at 51 years old, I have seen this over the years in all areas of my life in terms of business, because I've also seen people that aren't particularly smart or talented or whatever, and they just fucking bust their asses and they end up being really successful. And I just think that is such a big part of it. I, I, and I think with hard work that ability will, will happen. I mean, if you keep doing something over and over and over and over again, you're bound to get good at it. Yeah. And that might take people a few years. It might take people a few, some people a few decades. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of, I, I think about s some musicians and artists who don't get known until they're older. And that might be for a combination of the fact that they just weren't very, they didn't have that innate musical ability. I'll, I'll word it like that when they were in their <laughs> 20s or 30s. And it all came about when they were in their 60s, 70s, 80s. But that's just after perseverance. And I, I think I think ability can become innate with hard work. I, yeah, I, I know a lot of people who are working really, really hard, and I listen to their music, and I'm like, I just don't understand what you're getting at. But they're incredibly hardworking, and I I, I bless them for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the brain is very adaptable, and it you're kind. I I don't know neuroscience, but I feel like you're constantly, I guess, rewiring isn't the word, but you're creating new pathways or whatever. So the more you do something, the more you're going to build your brain around that and get better at it or more comfortable with it. And ultimately, you know, whatever you're trying to produce is probably going to get, you're going to have more control over the, you know, over the output. Control is a good way of putting it. But, but again, there's the whole creative part of it. Because I'm thinking from painting, like you can, if you paint a lot, certainly you're going to be able to control your color mixing and control the color that goes on. And you can control your drawing and your proportions and all of the, the techniques. It's just, that is like brain connections, hand connections. But from a creative standpoint, like that's another, I feel like that's another whole part of your brain, like creating um, what the composition is and having a vision um, you know, who knows if that is something that is innate or if that is something that you can develop. It's Does funny. that make sense? Am yeah. I explaining that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the word control. I feel to a certain degree, for me, there's a certain letting go involved, too. Mm -hmm. And that letting go takes practice. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a firm believer that the music writes itself. Mm-hmm. And that takes time to really understand that. And when I, when I, 
I, I, I sometimes I don't think I'm the one picking the harmonies mm-hmm. and the melodies for my piece. I feel that the piece is picking the harmonies and melodies for itself. I'm just the one doing the work. I, I, if I may use the word vessel for whatever it is that you might believe in. <laughs> this is, you're not the first, you're not the first person to say this on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, you know, some say it's the voice of God. Some say it's the universe. Um, I, you know, part of it is uh, some say, some would say it's your culture, your acculturation, you're speaking for the, you know, the voice of the people. So is part of it becoming connected to that? Yes. So how do you do that? Uh, how do you, how, how do you teach that? How do you teach that? Um, I want to learn that because I'm working on a show right now and I need some of that. I need to be connected. I've been, I've been incorporating prayer into the the show that I'm working on um, because I've been talking to people. So I've been praying more um, and trying to do exactly what you are saying is trying to ease up on the control. Mm. And because I have had that experience where I feel like it's coming through me, which is amazing. But like, how do you, how does one do that? I think it's life experience. Uh, I've, I, I think trauma helps us let go. Um, I think loss helps us let go. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, if you, if you read the biographies of a lot of artists, a lot of them really went through some, went through some shit, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it was war or famine or family issues or psychological issues. I mean, my God, the list is so long in regards to artists and composers and actors who have all sorts of mental disabilities, whatever it may be. I myself deal with bipolar disorder. We're trained not as, as not just as artists, but as humans, we just got to let go at a certain point. And I think that ability will shine through in our work. So how does trauma help people let go? Well, you either hold on to it and or sweep it under the rug or something, or you learn to deal with it. Okay, so what you're saying is, if you have a, if you've experienced a traumatic something, that you have to to be productive or effective or whatever, you have to let that go. So you're saying that that the ability to do that, you can transfer for that over to your creativity. Yeah, I think it'll just happen naturally. I really do. Um, I've never heard that before. That's so interesting. I, I, I'm, I'm a believer in the notion that our work represents our life. Art represents life and it represents an individual's life. Uh, it, this, this is the part of art that's hard to explain, right? Like it's beyond words, like how, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words and it's like, well, it's actually more words than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do you talk about music and the ability to let go is a, is something you learn through life, and it's not just practicing your scales or knowing your color tones and your hues and and or figure drawing for that matter. I mean, I, I associate ru- doing rudiments and scales with figure drawing. Okay, where you have to practice drawing a figure, but then eventually through life and through that aforementioned hard work, you learn to let the figure draw itself. And I, I, I it's, um. It is. It's very hard to explain. Um, Let me ask you this then. When you are listening, and and I could ask this question about all sorts of art, but I'm going to ask it specific to music because that's 
what you're so involved in. Would you say that when you are listening to something that somebody created, that do you feel like you have insight into who they are and their experiences just from listening to what they've created? Yes. Do you think you have I, that I more than others? No, I don't want to say I have that more than others. Um, more than the average person? or I think I listen for it more. Okay. I think everyone has the ability to do that, but in, I feel that that's something I listen for. I listen for intention in music. I'm not concerned about how well you play your scales. I'm concerned about how well you play the music. And I'm okay with wrong notes. I find them charming. Um, I like it when someone, when their singing is a little out of tune in a live performance, it's, it shows that they're a real human being, especially if they can hit that wrong note, recognize it, smile and keep going on. Mm -hmm. That's a life lesson. Like you're going to make a mistake, either do it twice and make it a pattern or correct the situation and keep going forward. Yeah. So I, I think intention is a quality that I listen for and it's, it's hard to, that's really hard to equate, you know, like, or to quantify. Um, but I do feel I can hear it in people's music. Um, that whole concept of, oh, this piece is too overproduced. Uh, it kind of, it can, you know, if you're, if you're fussing around with editing something over and over and over and over again, you can kind of take out some of that humanity in it. Yeah. And that probably happens when you're going to, like to the masses, is it more, everything is more super produced nowadays, I assume? I, I think so. Okay. I really think so. A lot of stuff, you know, just, some people don't know this, but one reason why there's so much electronic music that's so popular right now isn't just because a whole lot of people want to listen to it. It's also super lucrative and it's got a really high profit margin. So they can put more money towards the marketing than they can say bringing in a full band of musicians or an orchestra for that matter. I mean, a lot of film scoring now is done electronically. It's not with like full orchestra, uh, which is well and good. It really is, you know, as long as like what you're creating has that intention behind it. But um, if it's all ones and zeros and you're editing and editing and editing, I think it becomes kind of just candy at that point. It's not very meaty. I, I just, yeah, over that word, that the that term that people use is overproduced. And okay. I think that's a, a big part of a lot of mainstream music. Composing versus performing. Are those different parts of your mind? Like, can you tell me about the experience, the experience of doing one versus the other? Is it like a similar experience for you? Is it all just interacting with sound? Woo. Uh, no, I think they're two different things. Um, to perform what you're composing is for, well for me I can't I, I won't speak for other composer performers um, like songwriters for instance people who write their own lyrics and then they write the parts you know like just say uh, uh, an acoustic guitarist um, I personally get wrapped up in not just my lyrics I then get wrapped up in the music that's behind it and all of a sudden I'm on stage and I'm in front of people and now I'm wrapped up in the execution of all of this stuff uh, and that's when I'm going to make some mistakes and go with it and consider it charming and, you know, back to that whole thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, I like composing separate from performing because it's challenging. I've never written for a cello quartet before. Meaning composing for someone that you, for someone else that's for performing. someone else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it allows me to get to know that instrument. 
Um, and sometimes the musician, like I'll write for specific musicians too. I'll have them in mind. And then I do keep in mind them as a human. Like, what do they, what are they interested in? I, 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 I kind of have this like gestalt approach to writing. I want to know as much about the musicians that I'm writing for as, as well as their instruments. Um, I, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but, uh, Composing and performing are two different things. Uh, I actually get a little anxiety performing other people's music because I want it. I, that's where the perfectionist comes out in me. And I'm, I've actually managed to satiate a lot of my perfectionism in regards to my own music. But when it comes to playing other people's work as a percussionist, it gives me some anxiety. <laughs> but is that a creative experience when you're pr- performing someone else that something that somebody else or are you just like executing their plan type of it thing? should be creative okay it's like an actor saying somebody else's lines okay that it, makes perfect sense yeah yeah you can you can do shakespeare and either sound like a robot or you can sound like someone who really cares about the work at that point so it's this it's the same way um some performers i mean like yo-yo ma is a really great example he'll play the bach cello suites and even though bach wrote the music yo-yo ma brings it to life so there, I think there is a creative endeavor in performing um, other people's work, that is. I'm thinking Whitney Houston singing I Will Always Love You by Dolly Parton. Like taking something that was written that was simple and turning it into something that was incredible. I had no idea that was Dolly Parton. Dolly Parton wrote that. I love Dolly Parton. Yeah, she wrote that. And it was in the movie Best Little Horror House in Texas I mean, it was something that was part of her career. But if you hear her perform it, it's like this simple little song. And then Whitney Houston took it and turned it into something. And now that's probably a horrible example. Like your your Yo-Yo Ma, you know, Bach example is much better. But that's where my brain went. No, those are all creative people we just talked about, definitely. And I put Dolly Parton up there with Bach. Totally. Okay. Yeah, I'm going yeah, to do that. That's on the podcast. Okay. <laughs> However, does Bach have a theme park? Ah, he does not. No, he totally doesn't. In Dollywood, <laughs> I've never been there, but I heard it's awesome. That's really fun. <laughs> um, yeah, performing, composing, you know, and then this Stravinsky talks about the whole separation between virtuosic performer and virtuosic composer, and then the virtuosic conductor so that's a whole other that's a whole other rabbit hole we could totally go down okay well you answered my question it sounds like it's Good. different different uh, I, I just kind of wanted to know the experience um just i'm very curious about people's experience in doing things that i don't do and what what that's like and uh, am i allowed to say the titular line you're eager to know I am eager to know. I am eager to know. <laughs> I've never actually thrown that line in. And <laughs> you're the 40th episode. And I've never, yes. you're the first one that ever said that. Um, do you have a couple tips or suggestions for people that are listening to this? And, you know, I would love to focus the tip or suggestion on around um, accessing that letting go in your creativity. Um, that thing that what we talked about, um, because that was a very unique concept that no one's ever really talked about. Um, is there anything that you could um, mention people listening to this um, to uh, help them to do that? Uh, you mentioned the word prayer. 
I'm not going to suggest that people pray because uh, I think American society has a hard time with that. I think we're a very secular nation. Well, we're like one or the other, right? We're either like puritanical or we're secular. There's very little middle ground in our culture. But um, meditation is something I do recommend for people. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I really do. Um, in regards to letting go, just the little things that add up after time. Uh, and they either build up or you can let them go. Uh, city life is intense. And you experience things on the train. We experience things at work. We experience things at the cafe. And uh, and I, I should say negative things, right? Like we experience a lot of negative things living in a city. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to let them go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or you're going to find yourself very, you're going to find yourself aged and angry. Or shut down. Or shut down. Or shut down. Yep. Um, and that's why I think meditation, I like that suggestion for meditation because um, I, I'll tell you my personal experience is, particularly when I was in my 20s, all of the stuff that happens in our lives that we let go, you know, we're told to let it go, like you just said. I used to think I was letting it go, but what I was doing is I was shutting myself off and not dealing with things and not dealing with things that I should deal with. Mm. And um, so I wouldn't be, I could get myself to a place where I wouldn't be upset about things and I would feel safe, but I wasn't dealing with anything. And what I've found is with meditation, that is something, and that's another whole podcast episode. What I find with meditation is it allows me, in my personal experience, it allows me to let go of things but it still allows me to engage with the world and back in engage with the realities of challenges and problems and joys and all of that. Um, but it helps me to manage that better. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, management, <laughs> just managing life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, family comes to mind too. A lot of us struggle with our family or lack thereof. And, uh, being able to just accept the people in your life, I think will help will help let go in regards to your creativity too. It's it's those little nuances are are people pick up on. Um, we hear it in each other's tone. If you if as I mentioned, I'm listening for intention within work. I can hear in a conversation very quickly if someone's frustrated or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing I've had to learn to do in regards to letting go is not thinking it's directed at me. Mm-hmm. Um, and realizing that someone might just be having a bad day. Of course. And just letting that go. Like, yeah. And that, that letting go, you find yourself happier. I find myself happier. Um, and when I'm happier, I create better music. At least my friends say that. <laughs> well, great. Um, well, then that's, then that's great. That's a great suggestion for everyone. Well, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate you coming in and, um, we've know we know each other a little bit outside of here, and it's been great having this conversation into getting to know a new side of you. This has been really wonderful. You taught me a little about myself as well, and I appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. I'm yeah, glad. thank you. Um, is there anywhere that people can go to hear your music or learn more about you? Um, I have a SoundCloud page. Uh, you can look up KG Price as in Kyle Gregory Price. It's funny that you mentioned that because I'm actually kind of rebranding myself. I'm literally changing my Facebook name and my Gmail account name. I'm, I go by Kyle Gregory Price. That is my full name, but you can look me up under KG Price too on SoundCloud. Um, the Lucky Trikes. 
I encourage everybody to look up the Lucky Trikes. I'm I'm modest about a lot of my music, but the Lucky Trikes were a really fun, practiced kids band. Um, that's great for adults too. I, I'll say that if you're looking for fun music, <laughs> I, I'd say the Lucky Trikes and uh, the turntable stuff. I'm getting out there. I'm actually working on a website right now, so that'll be I'm making my work more accessible. Okay, great. Well, thank you again for coming in. I really appreciate it. Thank you. My name is Ricky McGuckrin, and you have been listening to Eager to Know, the podcast. If you haven't already, please go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Eager to Know podcast. 